Welcome back to the latest episode of the Security Sprint. This is a security podcast where you go beyond the headlines and talk about security and risk news and bring about a different perspective, as well as talk about news and events that you may have missed. There's a lot out there and we want to bring it to you. This, so the, this is a sprint. So the way it works is we go through two rounds of topics and then do some quick hits at the end. So with that, I'll bring in my esteemed colleague, Andy Jabor. Andy, how are you on this December Monday? Dave, I'm, I'm good. That was like a, a, a slower, calmer intro than usual. So I commend you for you know, slowing down, explaining it up front clearly. That's, that's a good job. And Dave, as, as I say, I'm, I'm well. Thank you for asking. I hope you're well, too. In, in our, in our pre-discussion uh, before this podcast kicked off, I failed to mention, can I do a little warm intro comment without getting into something too much here? Hey, Andy, you know you can do it as long as you work <laughs> through it, Andy. Let's let's move at a good pace. Let me just let me just tee this up then. There, since uh, we love to talk about our colleagues and our team, I want to share a, a post that came out today from Industrial Cyber. It's titled "U.S. Critical Infrastructure Sector Faces Cyber Threats Surge in 2023: Calls for Urgent Action, Enhanced Measures." And the article uh, has has some input from two highly esteemed ISAC leaders. One. Ms. Denise Anderson, President and CEO of the Health ISAC, who also serves as the chair for the National Council of ISACs, and who else, Dave? None other than our very own Jennifer Lynn Walker, speaking on behalf of Water ISAC, where she wears an important hat there as a director of infrastructure, cyber defense. Both ladies provide some really great input on the threat environment, on some considerations for preparedness and resilience. Denise shares some interesting comments and takes on regulation that I think readers might find of interest. So really, really good article. Appreciate um, Industrial Cyber reaching out to those two champions of the ISAC community. Just wanted to throw that out there as we get started, Dave. I'll give you the ball back. Yeah, I think when we start referring to Jen, um, we should either say big deal or queen. I, I don't know like where you want to go with that, Andy, but we'll let her decide when we talk to her next time, Andy. But let's get into our topics for this week. We're going to do two rounds and then we'll hit some quick hits at the end. Um, again, I will start on round one, Andy, and I'm going to start with UNLV. And there's a school shooting uh, last week. Unfortunately, three people were killed. One person was also injured in the in the uh, in the activity. Um, in the attack, and the in addition, the shooter was also killed in the in the incident, um, but he was not included in those three. So with that, he was a 67-year-old college professor uh, who went on to the campus of UNLV, was not a professor there, had applied unsuccessfully for a role there. Um, he did have a target list um, of the uh, of faculty at the school, as well as other colleges, and most notably East Carolina, and but authorities are still searching for a motive. There's not enough information at this point in time uh, to to understand what the motive is. The investigators also found ammunition at the uh, threat actor's apartment, along with an eviction notice. They have also identified nearly two dozen letters that were mailed in the hours leading up to the uh, shooting that occurred. Um, and it's also noted that he was also fascinated with various conspiracy theories around special organizations that seem to have too much control and power around the world and what that may mean. But this is learned from some of his online writings, as well as some former students. The attack, obviously, uh, within Las Vegas 
Um, if you recall in 2017, there was the mass shooting where more than 50 people were killed and injured, hundreds of others at an outdoor concert uh, on the Strip. That um, This also marked the 80th school shooting in the U.S. this year. That includes 29 at various universities or campuses. Most recently, there was the Michigan State uh, incident uh, some time ago. But, Andy, this continues another area of opportunity again where threat actors and again we're in the holiday season now as well so there's a lot of stress and anguish in, in perhaps in some of our communities um, there's a lot of stressors there's a lot of grievances that are about this is a very challenging time on a lot of fronts for a lot of different things um, it's important to be ever mindful uh, to be aware of various uh, threat actors, to be ever vigilant, to be aware of your surroundings, and to, to break out those hostile event um, plans and preparedness activities to make sure that your employees are aware and trained and know how to report information uh, up through the organization. So, Andy, I know covered a lot there, but I just wanted to hit on that uh, to start. Andy, where, what do you think? I think it's a great one to raise because I think it really touches some important points. One, you know, the continued uh, examples of self-radicalization, right? People start believing whatever they want to believe, whether it's religious extremism, conspiracy extremism, whatever it is, but sort of the ability for individuals to self-radicalize, to, to transition from anger to deliberately wanting to conduct attacks and moving from fantasy to actual hostile events, attack cycle planning, as you've documented and discussed many, many times very well, Dave. And, and I think another important consideration, besides the fact that we know this is happening, we've seen it demonstrated time and time again, that's something for us to all think about and for security leaders to consider. But two, where it occurred, higher education. Obviously, this guy had some ties to higher education. That's you know something to be cognizant of. But we have to recognize that higher education campuses are receiving a lot of negative uh, uh, external views right now. Right? A lot of people are looking at high college campuses Politically, you know, they're getting a lot of attacks with, um, you know, the, the cost of education, the value of education, you know, talk about the enrollment cliff, a lot of sort of hostility towards higher ed generally, with everything happening right now in relation to Israel and Gaza, even more hostility towards higher education. And you've got a young community and apparently, you know, faculty and former faculty just as susceptible, right, to the ability to consume social media and self-radicalized, believing, you know, various extremist uh, ideas and beliefs that might go towards action as this gentleman did. So the, the threat profile changes over time. Talk about some relation to a number of different types of sectors and communities. I think higher ed is at a time where they really need to sit back and consider their threat uh, assessment and what they're doing to mitigate risk and how they're preparing for these things. So it just takes out one determined attacker to, to have a really, you know, unfortunate day like they did at UNLV. So a, a lot to sort of chew on there. I hope higher education leaders will take this into account and really think about it. Yeah, I think higher education facilities in general, too, are very uh, challenging target or challenging location to secure. Now, unlike a school or like a like a high school, elementary school or preschool or some of these type of various facilities, there's generally controlled access points. And a lot of organizations have controlled access points with a higher education campus. There's generally a very open environment. They don't usually fence around the whole facility and such like that. So you can't really control access in and out as easily as you might would like to. So that does present challenges. And that's why it is important, as you noted, Andy, to make sure you're breaking out those plans and re reviewing and rehearsing. You know, as bad as this could have gone, I mean, um, to have as limited casualties 
it is speaks to some of the preparedness that may have occurred and we're good all of those lessons learned out there as well uh, and understand that over the coming weeks and months as the investigation continues and concludes so it'll be important to review those and look for opportunities within your organization to do better there speaking of conspiracy theories andy i'll just hit on this really quickly um it doesn't take much these days to get into that cycle of understanding stuff on on you know, see social media some of these other various websites the algorithms are so good that you know you start reading certain posts and links and articles you start getting other things that are of similar value with that you know alex jones who's a world-renowned uh, school conspiracy theorist amongst other uh, um, uh, conspiracy theorists um, was just put back on Twitter or X. And so that's a risk area there. And that now gets his exposure back to those areas. And, and that self-practicalization is, is, is important, Andy, to understand. So don't want to belabor that point anymore, Andy. Want to switch it back over to you for your round one topic. Yeah, and I'll just before I pivot, I'll say I want to commend, you know, Ren Isaac. We had a chance to do some activities with Ren Isaac over the years. And while uh, the Research and Education Network, ISAC, is primarily known for their great work in cybersecurity. We had a number of exercises focused on complicated physical security considerations for higher education, including uh, controversial speakers, active shooter, IEDs, and some of those reports and, and recommendations can be found online at ISAC's website. And so some it's a resource out there for folks, among a lot of other resources, but I appreciate a chance to do some good work with that community. Um, as we did those. So Dave, I want to pivot. Um, different community, but a similar sort of idea, right? That threat threats change, risks change. They can sometimes be based on world events, geopolitics, sometimes seasonal events. And I want to come back to a community we've discussed a number of times, which is the faith-based community. And we've seen a lot happening in regards to the faith-based community. Just recently, uh, the FBI director was, was briefing, uh, was, was briefed both the House and uh, the Senate in recent days, we talked about the idea that you know, the current threat uh, around faith-based communities and around the U.S. with everything going on in Israel and Gaza is like flashing red lights, I think was a term that he used. And so we recognize that there are increased incidents affecting people in places of faith, increased targeting, increased harassment, increased violence, increased cyber attacks as well. But we have to recognize that these can be uh, complicated and difficult for organizations to sort of prepare for, especially the faith-based community where they are very reliant on, on volunteers, not often robust security teams, it's a lot. And so just last week, DHS, CISA, released their physical security performance goals for faith-based communities, a great resource for communities of faith to figure out where do I start? How do I build an effective security program? And it was done in good coordination with organizations like Faith-Based ISAO. Uh, CISA reached out, Faith-Based ISAO had a chance to comment and review on that doc before it went final. It was, it was good work. It was good to see. And DHS has taken an, an interesting approach in this, basing this off the cyber performance goals. They've established, they've, they've taken a similar approach in, in how they've laid the document out, looking at some basic areas in, in their model. And so just to uh, scroll through here and, and just make sure I, I, I cover properly, they've, they go into an introduction, right? Some background and context, and then they cover in the, in the method of identify, protect, detect, respond, and recover, which isn't always how we think about physical security, but it's, it's a carryover from the cybersecurity performance goals. And it's a really good approach with a lot of resources and guidance for faith-based organizations. So I was really happy to see the coordination went into this. I think looking at both the seasonal timeliness of it, as well as the geopolitical threat-based timeliness of it, 
hats off to CISA for getting this out as they did. Uh, they followed the release with some good engagement with the faith-based community, Department of Homeland Security, Department of Justice. And I was really happy to see in the announcement them include a number of faith-based security coordination groups, including faith-based ISAO, where Executive Director Maya Saab was quoted, great to see that kind of partnership between CISA and the private sector, the ISAC, ISAO community, and other organizations that are helping to advance and enhance CISA's message on these important resources. So well done, everybody involved. If you haven't checked those out, I strongly encourage folks to check those out. And if you're in charge of physical security, even if you're not a faith-based organization, there's probably some really useful nuggets in there for you to consider as well and apply them to your own organization. Dave, I'll stop there. Yeah, no, I'll just echo that last part there, Andy, is, is look, while this is obviously geared towards faith-based communities and organizations, um, look, there's a lot of lessons that can be learned from all, all different types of things. Take it out, look at it, review it, and say, hey, how do I stack up against this? Should I consider something else there? Uh, very good call out there, Andy, and a very great development on that front. So, Andy, I'm going to interrupt between round one and round two for your uh, weatherman approach for this uh, for this particular podcast, Andy. I, I do have that name, the weatherman, but I do want a reminder this weekend served as a big reminder of, of the types of severe weather that we can experience during all parts of the year. We had severe thunderstorms and tornadoes uh, moving through Tennessee. Unfortunately, there was loss of life and, and significant property damage to there. Again, you're thinking more winter and not so much the, the spring type of storms, but again, just as a reinforcing what we've been saying over and over again, that severe weather can occur at any point in time and you really need to be prepared for all types of various weather situations. That storm continued through the East Coast and it continued to move upwards to the Northeast. A lot of winter storm advisories now following along with that. We are uh, gonna be in that, that period of time. You gotta make sure now we have all of our materials and weather system, uh, weather preparedness packs ready to go, whether that be an individual or as an organization. If you run in your organization, you're confronted with severe weather, uh, winter weather specifically, how are you going to make sure the sidewalks are clean? How are you going to make sure customers can get in and out safely? How are you going to make sure that your employees are in and out safely? So some things to just consider as we go along. So that was my break. Now, as we go into Brown 2, Andy, I want to call out a couple different things. It's going to be more of a uh, I guess a hodgepodge of different topics. So I uh, talked about the winter weather, but now I want to talk about holiday scams because I got to- Can I jump in before you get into scams? Can I just jump in with one thing yeah. I think is relevant? Yeah. So just you know, with what you just said on severe weather and some of what we just discussed in relation to geopolitical events and how they can manifest both on higher ed and faith-based and other communities, just want to point out Google released their 2023 year in search. And if you look at the US, the, the five top searches in news, number one, war in Israel and Gaza, Two, Titanic submarine, not relevant. But three, four, and five, Hurricane Hillary, Hurricane Adalia, Hurricane Lee. I think those search results show the importance of some of these issues we're talking about from severe weather to these geopolitical events that can have domestic implications, the number of people paying attention, looking, concerned, thinking about it. Might wanna check out that year in, year in Google search trends as well, but I'll stop there today. I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, very good call out there, Andy, and thanks for your support to your daily weatherman, so, uh, or your <laughs> weekly weatherman. So, all right, Andy, I'm going to go to round two here with my first top, my topic here, and it's going to be around scam related. I, I I need to represent the queen, the big deal, Jennifer Lynn Walker, and I'm going to call out another FBI warning. Remember, they did this a couple months, a couple weeks back before Black Friday, another FBI warning. This is coming from FBI Norfolk. 
uh, that was came out on the 8th of December about tis the season for holiday scams. A lot of the same stuff that you, you heard before. But again, as people are going to be able to represent and look at the various different types of threats and, and our stressors that are going along with the holiday season, they're susceptible to holiday scams. So you really need to be prepared for that. And, and there's also, also a consumer alert from the FTC. Um, stay scam free no matter how far away you roam. Again, just talking about uh, whether you're on a vacation, for example, if you're traveling, whatever, uh, making sure that all your preparedness and planning uh, around maybe things that like such as rental cars and gift cards and, and doing things like that um, are making sure that you're doing your due diligence to make sure you're doing legitimate opportunities and, and, and making a legitimate uh, business interaction. So do some research. Spot rental car listing scams. Look for the name of the rental car property and search their website. Pay by credit card, which gives you the best protections. And so there's a lot of great opportunities in this FBI as well as the FTC um, feedback. So Andy, it's the, tis the season to be jolly, but it's also tis the season to be prepared and aware of the various scams that are out there. So I just want to hit those real quick for my round two topic. What do you think, Andy? Yeah, I think it's a great reminder, Dave. I was working on a few things last week and emphasizing the same point of scams. And there's there's our individual scam concerns, right? You and me as, as consumers, as individuals, as we go about our daily lives. And it's certainly a lot of organizational scams. And and like we've often done, you know, two issues we've brought up many times. You know, I was working on a report where we really were emphasizing the idea of seasonal phishing campaigns and business email compromise. And I think, you know, the scams are a really great one to bring out. I'm glad you mentioned that. And there's a lot to think about there. So some great resources and references that the FBI has been putting out, Treasury has been putting out, the FTC has been putting out and others. So glad you brought that up, Dave. Great topic. All right. Well, very good, Andy. Where are you going to go with your round two? So I'm going to kind of do a similar hodgepodge. I'm going to hit three things quickly that I think are just worth highlighting for, for those who are listening today. So um, bear with me. I'm going to go through them quickly, touch the surface, and we'll share the link. So one, want to commend the team at the Record of Recorded Future. They, they did a good article on FBI guidance that came out last week. The FBI document was released on December 6th, and just to properly reference the title, uh, it's from the FBI. It's a policy notice titled Cyber Victim Requests to Delay Securities and Exchange Commission Public Disclosure Policy Notice. And so it talks about the circumstances by which an organization who's had a data breach can, or a security incident, I should say, cyber incident, can, can try and delay some of the notification processes and explains that pretty well, discusses what does it mean to be a material cybersecurity incident. I like the definition here. Basically, a material cybersecurity incident is one where there's a substantial likelihood that a reasonable shareholder would consider it important, right, when making an, an investment decision. I think that's good. It's, it's general, right, but, it, but it's, it, it's accurate. Right? Would a shareholder be concerned about this? then they should know about this. So it's good guidance. Then it goes into explaining the conditions by which an organization can try and uh, hold off on disclosure. Gets into some other details as well. I'm still processing the full report, to be honest with you, but I think it's good for those who may be responsible for notifications or, or response in general at organizations to review this and, and see where the FBI is sitting as far as this goes in relation to SEC requirements. There's a lot going on with the SEC requirements. There's pushback from Congress. There's other regulations that are out there being discussed. It's good to understand that the FBI looks at this as, as a key, key partner in the event of a serious cyber incident. Two, Dave, I want to look at another concern the organizations have, which is insider threats. I'm not going to go into detail here, but CrowdStrike put out a good report looking at insider threats. And amongst a number of highlights, I'm just going to 
focus on two that they highlighted. One, approximately 55% of the identified insider threat incidents that CrowdStrike identified over the course of about two and a half years, about 55% of those incidents involved unauthorized use or attempted use of privilege escalation exploits. Important to think about. Two, in that same period, January 2021 to April 2023, approximately 45% of insider threat incidents involved insiders who unwittingly introduce risk to their environment through the unauthorized download of exploits or by downloading other offensive security tools for testing or training purposes. So the unwitting insider made a mistake, right? Didn't deliberately cause harm to the organization, but accidentally did cause harm to the organization. And I would suspect, Dave, that in many of those incidents, the user identified, oh crap, maybe I did something wrong here. Maybe I shouldn't have hit that link, downloaded that file, whatever it is. And that brings me to my final one I'd like to mention from Trend Micro where the team looked at uh, cybersecurity trends in 2023. There's a number of areas, I think five areas that they cover. One I'd like to really focus on is on the human factor, right? So I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna read this part out. I think it's worth reading out. I think it ties right back into that last comment from CrowdStrike. The authors wrote, sadly, when it comes to cybersecurity awareness and skills, some dogged same olds persisted in 2023, 2023, including the worn out idea that humans are the weakest linked. In fact, it be it's become clearer with time that the blame for human weak links lies squarely with organizations. I would concur that there is a large responsibility on organizations, continuing, which have done a generally poor job of raising their team's cyber awareness. Fortunately, there does seem to be growing understanding that as threats increasingly target users, people can and indeed need to be the strongest links. Raising cyber awareness is one half of the solution. And this next part that I'm going to quote ties right back into that 45% of unwitting insiders. The other half of the solution is quoting, making it safe and acceptable for employees to report mistakes that put organizations at risk. That's a great point, right? Because again, if 45% of those risk uh, insider threat incidents involved unwitting insiders, how many of those might have been prevented earlier or more quickly responded to if the individual involved felt safe and comfortable to report, I think I might have screwed up here quicker and to the right people the right way, it might have really helped. So I think it's a really good consideration for Trend Micro. I appreciated that perspective. Good report from CrowdStrike and a good report um, from the record of recorded future looking at the FBI document. Dave, that was a lot. We'll share the links. You can dive into all of those more. Yeah, I mean, great, great call out there, Andy, for sure. And and look, I think a lot of people look at insider threat and they they focus too much on the word threat, and they they feel it's always a malicious intent or or some bad actor involved there. And in a lot of instances, there are there may be bad actors who target insiders, but but and there's also those who are you know brought into the organization who have malicious intent or 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 compromised at some point in time to provide that information but there's also that unintentional uh, or even negligent insider that just some you know they didn't know they didn't follow processes the right way they didn't understand the processes to know they were doing it the wrong way or they just made a mistake and i think it is as part of that insider threat program, you have to have those type of um, understandings across the board from malicious to unintentional to even negligent. And so a really good report, really good call out. There's a lot of different ways you can go on that. So definitely encourage you to read through that uh, for sure. Andy, so with all of that, let's wrap up this uh, weekly 
uh, sprint. And let's cover some quick hits. I've got a couple on my end here, Andy. I want to just call out that uh, over the last over the weekend or uh, over the last week or so, um, there was a statewide bomb threat hoax that hit Texas schools. Again, you know, this just want to serve this as a reminder that bomb threats do happen in a lot of different areas. Schools happen to be targeted um, just as much as anywhere else. It is important. It is a good reminder to just make sure that organizations have those, you know, those quick reference cards right next to those phones that that can walk a person through how to handle a bomb threat the type of information to do to gather and the information then where it needs to go. Uh, CISA does a lot of, has a lot of great resources on this, Andy, that can go out to those uh, organizations. You can just put it right next to your phone and, and you'll be good to go on that front. Also, Andy, on another front, I want to call out, we've talked about organized retail crime in the past. Tomorrow, there is a hearing uh, December 12th from 2 to 5 p.m. The Committee of Homeland Security is going to be looking at uh, from festive cheer to retail fear, addressing organized retail crime. Not sure how much this is going to get into preparedness or activities, but I think it's definitely something to think about if you're in that retail sector or space or have an interest in organized retail crime. Might be good to to uh, to link into that. Andy, so I'll wrap up my quick hits. Where are you going with yours? Dave, I've got a bunch, and I don't think I've got time enough for all of them, so I'm just going to focus on uh, two, and then readers can check out some good reports and additional items from cybersecurity reports that have been released, um, concerns about potential uh, hacking of a UK nuclear site, some cannabis security updates. You can dig into all of those, um, but just want to point out two. One, last week, FEMA released their National Preparedness Report. It's a good report. Didn't get a lot of attention. We didn't focus on it here in this weekly sprint. There's some important items in there about sort of where risk is being assessed and things that organizations can be thinking about to increase their level of preparedness and informing resilience. So I encourage folks to check that report out. Some of the topics include cybersecurity, building codes, individual preparedness, and other areas of importance. Two, I already mentioned Google's Year in Search, interesting item, but I want to note uh, CISA put a blog post out looking. I mentioned the physical uh, security performance goals for faith-based organizations. CISA put out a blog post looking at the cybersecurity performance goals which were released earlier this year, looking at assessing how cybersecurity performance goals or CPGs help organizations reduce cyber risk. A lot of organizations right now are planning, you know, what they're going to be doing for 2024, budget-wise, programmatically. The CPGs are an important resource that can help you raise your baseline security level. Good guidance, voluntary, not regulatory, not required, not mandated, right? But things that organizations can do to get better. So you don't have to necessarily map that out on your own. You can kind of look at some some standards here from from CISA, shouldn't say standards, best practices, right? Ways to grow your organization, security, preparedness, and resilience. Good guidance. So maybe check those two out. Again, some other updates that members might or listeners might find of interest. You can check those out as well. I think I'll stop there, Dave. All right. Well, that's a pretty heavy agenda there for a sprint, Andy. We got we got a lot of things in there uh, for today. So uh, kudos to you, Andy. And uh, I think, yeah, I think it's, it's it was good, a good sprint. So just want to encourage all of our listeners to uh, continue to listen to the Gate 15 podcast See, we got out there. We got the Nerd Out, which will be released later on this week. It'll be a fun one, I, I think, uh, for everyone to listen to. And then we've got Andy's Gate 15 interview. And you can always hear this security sprint coming out uh, every week. So with that, Andy, appreciate your time today. And I will bid you adieu.